Welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. Brought to you by TwoWayRadioCenter.com, a Motorola value-added reseller. The Church Safety Guys is a nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping the vigilant, those men and women who stand watch, keeping our houses of worship and places of faith safe. We believe church safety and security must be a ministry first and have engaged servant leaders who continually strive for excellence and teams of motivated volunteers that are always training. Join us for the next hour as the Church Safety Guys unpack safety, security, leadership, and ministry operations with your hosts, Dr. James McGarvey and Mike Scully. This broadcast is also available on YouTube, your favorite podcast platforms, churchsafetyguys.com, and on the original church security app. Download it today. Feel free to like, subscribe, and share with your ministry. to the church safety and security broadcast with the church safety guys i am james and once again joined on this broadcast by my co-host mike what's up sir a couple weeks off it's uh nice and uh refreshed from a holiday etc so (laughs) yeah we took we ended up taking the super bowl off because the uh I think historically looking at the numbers, it's just not worth it (laughs) because everybody's usually watching that. And then last, last week was president's day weekend. So um, we're kind of, I think we're kind of ramping up to, to Easter and then we're going to probably, probably split the the quarters up and do something a little bit different with that. But, but yeah, it's, it's fun to, fun to be back. I'm almost getting used to <laughs> having my Sunday nights free again. <laughs> almost. Maybe, maybe my, my wife is. <laughs> uh, I, I would agree with that one. <laughs> for but sure. Good stuff. So uh, welcome. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for joining. Uh, if you're listening at a future time, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Feel free to, to click like, share uh, with your folks and uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can you can click the subscribe button, and that will actually uh, keep you alerted to new new content. Typically, we we broadcast live every Sunday night, and um, then when when other things pop up uh, during the week, sometimes we'll go live and and discuss those as as we can and as the the situation allows. So. Um, so we can certainly jump right into a couple of things and then bring our guest in. Uh, but uh, for starters, I'm going to um, throw up on the screen here. We have our, um, you can kind of see it in the background, our Church Security Essentials Conference. That is actually coming and uh, the end of, actually end of April, which is faster and sooner than <laughs> than you than you realize. Yep. Um, you know but, it's coming up fast when you're already starting to work on the powerpoints and things like that for and i'm like oh gosh i'm gonna already feel like i'm running out of time for sure <laughs> for sure but um the interesting thing is it is in austin texas at grace covenant church uh, i'm actually going to pull it up on the overlay here so you can see it so uh, one of our keynotes this year is actually uh, steve bucci and Uh, Steve is with the Heritage Foundation, retired uh, Army Ranger, uh, and former assistant to uh, the Pentagon. Uh, Great, great guy. He is actually going to be speaking, and he is actually in um, Michigan and is a safety team director uh, of his church up there. But uh, great guy and fantastic speaker, so we're really excited about him um, him coming and, and hanging out with us. And then we certainly have a couple other new, new friends that are going to be there with us. And, uh, we've added a day, uh, at a, a crazy, crazy value. Um, 
So Mike and I are actually going to be doing uh, different breakout sessions on Friday with the folks that are there. So um, you can actually, you can see the lineup if you go to churchsafetyconference.com and um, certainly get tickets and and we have discount codes for for your church if you want to bring them. Um, but it's definitely, definitely going to be a great event and we would encourage you to check that out. Um, there's plenty of options for hotels around the area if you're coming in from out of town. And um, we definitely we definitely still have the space, still have tickets available. So take advantage of that. We actually, um, typically we do a one day or it's a one day event. And this year we actually added um, a Friday. So we added a full Friday and then Sunday, uh, KR Training, which is one of our sponsors uh, for the event, is actually hosting a uh, special firearm training class at their location. So all of that information is on the website, but it's definitely going to be a full weekend. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity for you to come into town, you know, hang out with us, and then certainly Sunday go to church and then wrap up the weekend with uh, with some additional training for you and your team. And it's all, um, it's all really all kind of scheduled and set up at a, a very efficient, effective price. So, but I will, um, put the link, actually, I usually do. I'll put the, the website and link in the, the show notes. So if you're, if you're listening to this at a later time, you can text, definitely check that out and see but uh we don't want to don't want to give away everything for it but um we've got some some special folks that are going to be there and i'm looking forward to it it'll be all it'll be a lot of fun yeah looking forward to not having to fly this time be in my backyard that's great <laughs> kind of drive across the city a little bit and that's about all i got to do this time so it'll be great um Glad well, to have everybody fly down to Texas. Yeah, we had um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Corey, um, Corey on and Corey's been working with us as a ministry, but she's also the safety director of, of the host church, which is uh, Grace Covenant in Austin. And um, they've done an amazing, Grace Covenant has done an amazing job of helping us and facilitate it. So um, definitely yeah. shout out to them and um shout out to steve with with our coffee company <laughs> yep redemption 316 redemption. coffee because um you know without it we certainly couldn't couldn't do everything so it's good it's, yeah, no, it's I was, a great location i was thinking about it the other day and it's it's like you know you everybody always jokes around about how everything's bigger in texas and better in texas and that sort of thing and it's funny because I think every person that I've met down there in connection with the conference has um, almost gone past being a friend. It's like almost family, <laughs> <laughs> which is really cool uh, that everyone's so, so hospitable. But um, and that's despite be... the fact that it's Austin, Texas, because Austin, Texas yeah. isn't as Texas as the rest of Texas, I shall say. Uh, but, uh, you, you definitely have the folks in the, the church community down here and, and, and Corey's definitely great. And she, she has a coalition of, uh, folks from church security teams across multiple churches here in central Texas. Um, I also run a, a group of, uh, statewide, uh, that has a bunch of folks that, that are tied in and social media. And there's a group for East Texas that I've tied into and connected with to talk about the, the the conference coming up. So a lot of it, it is huge. I mean, when you got multiple coalitions and security groups just in one state um, and you got other states that have none, um, that says something as well. Well, and it was funny because I, I mentioned to you, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, a, a friend of mine is a pastor of a church out in El Paso. And I went to college with him and I was going to call him and say, Hey, I'd love to see you come on out. And then I saw how far <laughs> how far El Paso was from Austin, and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, Texas is really that big." 
El Paso from the western side to the eastern side of the state is actually shorter to drive to Los Angeles. So that's yeah. that's how far Texas can, actually is. That. So <laughs> it's uh it's definitely a very large state. Heck, I, I went on vacation once and I drove for seven hours and still hadn't left the state. So yeah. it, it's it's pretty pretty large in any direction from that matter. Um, but Austin's centrally located mostly, um, at least within the metro triangle, if you will, between uh, San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston. So it's all within a few hours drive from any of those locations. Uh, so realistically, the, the majority of the Texas population is accessible within a relatively shorter drive. Yeah. And that's, that's really cool. Um, from the standpoint of, of being able to connect with churches. So we definitely, definitely kind of planned that out so that we can, we can, uh, spend some more time with churches down in that area and, and hopefully, hopefully be a benefit and help, help those churches. Um, connecting back to, I think a couple, well, it's been about what, two Sundays ago now, they had the, uh, the church shooting at, uh, Joel Olstein's church down in, in Houston. Houston. And so, um, we just as a, as a quick reminder, and Mike has actually been tracking some of that a little bit more, so I'll, I'll throw it over to him, but, um, just as a kind of a reminder, cause a, a few folks have reached out and said, you know, why haven't you guys talked about this and that sort of thing? So, um, Typically, when something like that happens, we we kind of announce and we'll send out alerts um, on the the app, uh, which you can download at church churchsecurityapp.com. Um, but we're we always hesitate, and part of the reason that we hesitate is because a lot of times uh, news outlets that release information, even law enforcement, when they release information, it's not complete. Uh, and it's certainly not complete within the first probably 36 to 48 hours. And so a lot of times we just feel like it's better to, to take all the information in and, and get a better better viewpoint of what's happened or what's happening um, than to jump in and just say, hey, this is what's going on and just kind of throw stuff around and throw stuff out there. And um this situation is is pretty interesting. It's no honestly that's that's no different. I'm glad we we did wait cuz more information is coming out and right. um you know, as as law enforcement releases it and as the church staff release it, it's it's good to know too. And down the road we may I don't know, we may bring in or talk about it on a full episode, but yeah. I think I mean in general too, we look at the substance of the actual shooting um, as well. I mean, certainly in certain circumstances, if it's trending or looking in a certain way, um, whether it's terroristic based, whether it's driven off of perhaps association with a group, if it looks like there may be potentially elevation of uh, a risk elsewhere because of some sort of uh, patterned movement, then of course that's that's something where we would uh, break that that rule and that silence that we do place around it. Uh, but ultimately, also we're we're seeing that that the situation itself was relatively handled uh, textbook um, and handled in a in a in a short manner with without a large loss of life, unlike many other of the incidents especially in Texas or, or really at churches around the country. So as James mentioned on February 11th uh, at Lakewood Church in Houston, um, there was a shooter uh, walked into Joel Osteen's church, claimed to have a bomb in the backpack, but no bomb was subsequently detected, um, sprayed some type of substance on the ground and shot a 47-year-old man and, and wounded him. So two off-duty officers uh, from multiple agencies serving as security in the church did shoot the shooter um, after pointing an AR-15 at them. So there was a seven-year-old involved, uh, the the son of the shooter itself, and uh, that son was uh, also critically wounded in the uh, the shooting itself. So a lot of different reports as to uh, the shooters identified as a 36-year-old uh, self-identifying as female, but also previously identifying as male. Um, and they, 
confiscated, of course, the AR-15, which had a sticker uh, that had Palestine uh, on it and some anti-Semitic writings had later been discovered. So again, really, uh, as I said before, textbook uh, overall, there's more to it, I think. Uh, but what we're seeing is yet another, uh, obviously, shooting in the state of Texas, my home state here. Um, but this was textbook. As soon as um, uh, she came in, uh, it was already identified, and there were off-duty officers immediately, uh, really church security, uh, creating that perimeter, creating that separation, able to um, return that fire and, and, and put the individual down quickly. So I really believe we would have seen a, a much greater loss of life for a couple of uh, a few reasons that we saw here. Uh, one is that it was not during their busiest time of the day. It was between services. Two, they had church security that was highly trained and available. And three, ultimately, it wasn't um, not a whole lot of motive or detail has come out, but uh, they didn't. The person didn't come in shooting, and didn't start taking people out at the door. Um, in fact, a church security person let this suspect in um, at one of the locked doors. Um, whether it was brandishing at the time, there's different reports of that. Um, whether it was because they were uh, they were under immediate threat at that time, so they just opened the door and backed away. Uh, but we're seeing that that the exterior was essentially penetrated with getting through a locked door. So there's both positives, but also learnings, I think, through this. And I think we'll see more as time develops, as more is released, as we find out more about motive and other things, and even details from that church. There'll be more to talk about, but. The reality is, uh, thank God it was not worse. Uh, thank God there was church security and uh, the body count was kept small. For sure. And I, I do know that uh, several of the several of the individuals related or several individuals related to the individual um, that came into the church have commented, have stepped forward and commented that mental health was a large um, aspect to that. And again, that's not um, that's not justifying it by any means or saying, hey, it's this is OK. But um, understanding, too, that a, a lot of times with these situations, mental health kind of plays into that. And the aspect of like you mentioned, I mean, they the individual came in and then, um, you know, made made those steps, made those actions and it wasn't really a situation like if you track it and look at every instance where the person came in, it, it doesn't seem like a situation that was um, like instantly you would know, Oh, this person means harm. So, yeah. you know, until they actually got in and then had, you know, had the firearm that was displayed and started using it. Um, but, you know, he, he, neither here nor there, the reality is, you know, I believe the last time I checked, I believe the seven-year-old that was hit is still in, in critical, um, critical shape in the hospital. Um, so definitely keep, keep that individual and, and the family in, in your prayers. Cause they're certainly, the family is certainly victims of this as well. But overall, I think, um, I definitely think it highlights the need for training and certainly, you know, thinking through how would you respond in a situation, especially if children are involved and it's part or you're, you know, you're standing at part of, you know, the part of the church that has the kids, you know, how do you do that? How do you navigate all of that without having friendly fire or uh, collateral damage? And, you know, can you can you do that? I'm sure those officers now are still you know, dealing with, dealing with that from the standpoint of, you know, mentally, you know, trying to, trying to play through that in their mind as well. So, right. Well, I mean, this is a long line of, of really the, the, the modern era of church shootings that really from uh, early on, but really that what we see uh, bigger events uh, back from 1980 all the way through to current day. 
so a lot of, a lot of different things. And we've seen Texas, of course, we talk about everything's bigger. Well, Texas being as big as it is, even more churches, um, that has resulted in uh, a lot more, for whatever reason, um, additional of those those larger shootings to be targeting churches that happen to be in Texas. So, and that's that's kind of the other thing to keep in mind is that it seems like oh why why does everything always happen in Texas? Well, Texas is a big place, right? And you know, very dense with a lot of churches and a lot of area like we were talking about before. So realistically. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people there and a lot of, a lot of places to, a lot of area to cover. I mean, if we look at it through the scale of the economy, I mean, Texas is the eighth largest economic area in the world. So Texas is larger economically than other countries. So when we think about it, it's one of our 50 states. Yes but it's larger than many countries overall in what it does. So to give you a shot, for those who have not been to Texas, and we talked a little bit about how big it is uh, geographically speaking, but even economically speaking, how big it is and the just the sheer volume of churches uh, being in the South, uh, there's there's a lot obviously that are, are here, certainly in the, the beltways that I talked about earlier as well. For sure. Well, we will go ahead and and jump into the topic on this broadcast, which we want to talk about uh, medical training tonight. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and and bring our guest in, who is uh, Alan Hughes. And Alan has been on the broadcast before with us, but he is actually um, one of the owners and trainers of Better Protectors. So I'll bring him in here and... Hey, Alan. Thanks for joining us again. <laughs> Guys, how are you? Welcome back. It's good to be back. So I want to go through and um, I mean, obviously, you you guys, you do a, a ton of school and, and church training as well. And and uh, whether it's first aid or or uh, tactical training and and assessments and a whole whole slew of things, but I kind of wanted to talk tonight just about the first aid aspect of it because a lot of times we have, you know, we have churches that reach out and they're like, well, you know, we don't really we don't really have anybody, we don't really have any plans for first aid, we don't really have anything um, scheduled to train, you know, it's not that important. I can call nine one one and and get everybody here really quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I chuckle at that because you never know, like with, with 911, you never know how long it's going to take to get help. Um, but I want to, I want to jump in a little bit tonight on the, um, on this episode, just about some simple things or different, maybe different levels that churches can kind of do or take actions to do that will help them that aren't complicated. Like let's, let's simplify this and make it a little bit easier for people to understand. But at the same time, I guess, realize it's not, it's not really that crazy of a thing. Um, but, uh, from your, I guess, starting off from your, your perspective, uh, on a, a church that has no training or anything like that, what what would your some of your suggestions be as far as a place for them to start? Yeah, I think I think two of the big starting points um, that the, the conversation really needs to begin with is um, stop the bleed training and then CPR first aid AED. And um, typically, I will I will actually push stop the bleed training for as many people as you can get done. Um, My preference is that every single person on the safety team be stop to bleed trained. Um, If not more with some of the other, uh, you know, the other service teams, um, your ushers, your greeters, uh, people in kids ministry, everything like that. It's a super easy class to use. And statistically, you will use it much more often than you would CPR. Um, and the, the other thing being, um, you know, with CPR, if I have two or three people during a service that are CPR trained, we're probably in good shape. The odds of multiple people having heart attacks at the same time are pretty narrow. Sure. But, but if we have a casual, uh, 
you know, a mass casualty incident, and it doesn't have to be violence. It could be a weather-related thing. Um, mm -hmm. Tornadoes are very rude. They don't announce when they're coming, and they just <laughs> show up, and uh, you know that kind of thing. Um, then you may need more than one or two or three people that can actually, um, you know, start those life-saving measures. Mm -hmm. and the other thing is um, time. A person with a heart attack, they can go a good ten minutes without oxygen to the brain. You've got time to get people, get AEDs, get things over there to them compared to an arterial bleed where they could literally be dead in 90 seconds. So we don't have time to get, you know, Joe from the other end of the of the campus. He's our, our stop the bleed guy and he's going to run over and save the day unless Joe is pretty fleet of foot. Um, you know, our victim may have some some problems. Yep. So, um, so yeah, we, we start with stop the bleed. It's an easy, uh, an easy skill to, to teach. We can do it in two hours, um, to teach them not just tourniquets, but wound packing and uh, chest seals and that sort of thing. And then, um, then we kind of, uh, go to, okay, let's talk about, uh, CPR. And we, mm -hmm. we look at uh, CPR first aid AED for, um, as many safety people as they can get. But then, you know, of course we try to get um, church staff or key volunteers that may be there, you know, during most of the services, which try to get them trained as well. I think- So that's kind of our two big, two big rock starting points. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's interesting because I, w I was actually talking to a church last week and um, I asked them, and, and one of the, one of the things I've always pushed, like with my teams is regardless of your, your skill set, everyone needs to know CPR and first aid. And then exactly what you said and, and stop the bleed as well, because you never know what's going to happen if you're going to need an extra set of hands or that sort of thing. But it was interesting because I had a conversation with a church and they, they said, um, well, we're, I said, you know, have you trained any of your folks on CPR and first aid? And and they commented and said, well, no, uh, because we've got a doctor and, and, and a paramedic. So we, w whenever we need, whenever we need them, we'll just call them. And yeah. I said, huh, that's interesting. So they never, and I, I mean, I was, I was being facetious, but straight faced, right. I said, so they never go on vacation. They come every single Sunday. And it was, it was kind of funny because the pastor looked at me and he was like, oh, yeah, well, hopefully nothing happens when, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, hope is not a plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hope is not a strategy at all. Um, and and while we're at it, let's hope they're not the ones who need the aid. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the other thing uh, that we see frequently, and 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 I will I will admit that it even gets said once in a while at my own church. They're like, well, you know. Um, my church is literally about three blocks from the fire station. Yep. So they're like, oh, they'll be here in, you know, three minutes, two minutes. Okay. Again, arterial bleed, femoral artery, you get about 90 seconds. So mm -hmm. three minutes is great, but it's not going to help you at that point. And the other thing, of course, is that's assuming that they're all sitting there at the station. They're not on a call. So then the next fire station over is going to be doing that. Uh, they're going to be the one responding to it. So now your, you know, your three minute time just became seven minutes. And, yeah. um, you know, yep. I, I can tell you for a fact, doing CPR for seven minutes is a really long time. <laughs> uh, so. It is. It is. And, and that's, it's interesting. Cause I, I've said the same thing. The, our, our closest, um, our closest response is a station probably about a half a mile down the road. Mm -hmm. And in Columbus, the, the average response time is eight minutes, which is phenomenal, like for, for the size city that we are. But if that station, if, if the closest station, a half a mile down the road, if they're res already responding to another incident, then that time time frame jumps up to almost 15 minutes. So being, being where we are, and then if you're dealing with traffic or something else, 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the vast majority of churches are not necessarily directly in a city very close to the response. And so you're really dealing with folks that have to prepare to uh, have a, a response time greater than 10 minutes as the norm. And then when those variables come into play, that that could double it. Now you're talking 20 minutes uh, before you have a response on scene in some cases. Um, but I mean, we've talked about a lot of the different layers uh, as to the time itself. But then you also want to make sure that uh, I'll, I'll jump in. You mentioned a mass casualty incident um, there, Alan. If if you get to that degree, obviously, yes, you got to be able to are, you have folks that are trained can jump in there quickly. But even more so is do you have an ability to start making sure that you're identifying where there are potential victims so that when uh, emergency services arrive on scene, their route or their path to get to a victim is clear. Um, So that can be everything from identifying the folks as you're working through a situation, say it's already done, whether it's weather, whether it's some sort of active event, uh, but going through and, and including triage training uh, to be able to identify how to tag somebody and how to flag as to what their the extent of their injuries are. And if you're dealing with power outages, you may want to incorporate, um, uh, some people may have heard the, the term, the START uh, system, which really is a, a, about uh, being able to couple the uh, tagging of information with uh, or, or like a tag of triage with a glow stick of sorts to kind of lead people to where that casualty collection point is. So as you're sending in first responders, they're not missing a person who's in the green room at the corner of the stage because they were buried and hidden and in, in the, in the power's out. So a lot of different ways to try to increase the the response time to the victim, not just to the building. Yeah, and, and there are even things that, that we teach just in the basic stop the bleed. Um, the one thing is, of course, you know, people in our uh, sphere, everybody loves black and Velcro, right? So they get they always get the black tourniquets and, and uh, you know, they, they're all tactical and everything. And we, we often recommend, you know, get the bright orange ones. Uh, pick those out so that then, again responding, um, you know, responding help is able to quickly see and identify, hey, there's a tourniquet on that. They're not looking for the black tourniquet against the the denim jeans and, you know, and and that sort of thing. Um, We also talk about positioning the bodies, you know, putting them into the recovery position. That's not just good for, you know, for them health wise. It also tells those, those responders that are coming in, hey, someone has already looked at them. You know, somebody that at least has a little bit of training has already had a look at them. And then, of course, there's positioning the the ones that are already deceased um, with, you know, with our fallen angel um, poses and, and that kind of thing. So that as harsh as it sounds, so that they don't waste critical time on someone who they are not able to uh, to help at that point. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Um, oh, go ahead, Mike. I'd say uh, one one other thought too from an area of training. Um, not all churches are going to go this path. Again, this is more of a degrees of of maturity of your team and capabilities of those that are on said team. So, whether it's you're building out a standalone medical uh, team of sorts whether you're training your security folks to also have medical training and operating more of a, a, a blended safety team, uh, either side of that, but it's actually even getting into uh, potential Narcan training as well and administering uh, that. Not that it's absolutely um, um, difficult or in any, any by any means, but it's a different different degree. You may see certainly those in the inner cities and different areas, but this can happen anywhere. Somebody can come in contact with a, with drugs left on a playground and you may end up having to respond and, and treating a, of a child very quickly. So um, that is something to look in. If you have an established team, if you have some folks that are already kind of trained to do some basics, perhaps the next step is looking into um, uh, carrying uh, Narcan for, for that sort of situation. Yeah, that's, that's something that... Um... I would say within the past six months, I introduced with our own. Um, 
the, the church I was previously with was in a pretty, um, it was a very suburban area, but it was one of those streets where there wasn't a lot of walk by traffic or anything like that. So it really wasn't a giant concern for us. Um, the one that I'm currently at um, is in a downtown area, has a very active homeless uh, outreach ministry, has a very active uh, addiction recovery ministry. So it was like, okay, well, this is obviously something that we need to start becoming more, uh, you know, more uh, prepared for. Um, so that was something. I, um, it kind of reminded me of something when you were saying that there's another training practice that I've started doing recently with our Stop the Bleed is as people are performing the the uh, the uh, practical exercises, we have them talk through what they're doing. So, of course, you know, it's good. It reinforces to you. I'm talking through the procedure. But what we've also found is we can use that to um, to coach other people who may be, you know, they, they may be conscious. They may be able to self-aid and just not know how. So I can toss them a tourniquet and talk them through it while I'm putting it on someone who is not capable of aiding themselves. Yeah. That, actually, that would be a great idea if somebody ends up uh, freezing as well, like being mm -hmm. able to, because I know there, there are several, there are several situations where um, when I first started in, in EMS, uh, I froze because I just didn't like, you're not used to processing all this information. And it's like, okay, I don't know what to do first, um, towards, towards my, I guess my tenure, the end of my tenure as, as a safety director at my old church, I was kind of the, actually I was, I was the, the senior medical person or most trained medical person. And so there were a couple of times when we were trying to treat people and someone meaning well, you know, would come up and I know they knew, you know, knew how to do whatever it was they were doing because, you know, they took the class and everything. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's like, you kind of have to snap them out of it and say, Hey, I need you to focus and remember this. And this is how we do this. So, and you know, I've, I think, um, Mike's probably heard the stories, but I know several times where I've gone back to my team after and apologized and said, I wasn't talking to you like that because, <laughs> because I was intentionally trying to be rude or anything. It was right. the moment of, we need to get this care rolling. And, you know, this is a critical, critical situation or, you know, while you're giving care that, that, you know, the, the status of that person changes. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, you have something else to kind of contend with, with it. But it's definitely, uh, definitely well, an interesting thing. And, and I would say, uh, Mike, you touched on it earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, guiding people and things like that. You know, we, we were big believers in, you know, in a crisis, everybody has a job. Um, yeah. So give them the job. Um, so it, it could be something as simple as, okay, you're the one who's going to meet them at the door and get them back here. I, I know that building inside now, and I could tell you what room I'm in. That doesn't really help you if you've never right. been in there. So just that simple, um, we've even, we even do that with, um, when we're conducting, um, shooting ranges. Um, okay. You are the person who is in charge of calling and this is yep. the address we're at, and this is what you're going to tell them. And you're the one responsible for driving over to the gate to lead them in and show them which range we're on. Um, so that they can get back there as quickly as possible. Yep. I do that with range days and so forth as well uh, uh, as kind of the safety officer that day. It's like, okay, where's the trauma bag? If something happens, who's grabbing it? Who's calling? Who's this? Who's that? So similar, similar circumstances. That should be something that from a church perspective, you have those positions that are potentially already set to rotate um, and fall into those secondary positions. So I always talk about positions in the churches that I've coached as primary and secondary. So your primary may be a zone or maybe a post, 
but a secondary in the, in a response situation, you may take on additional duties or an additional need to move in order to uh, aid in or participate in that response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's interesting, but, but being direct, um, this is probably the one time that in one situation where I'm, I'm a strong advocate of saying be direct and be very specific because when you're giving care um, and it's that, that type of situation, you don't have a lot of time, you know, you're fighting that golden hour. And in a lot of cases you're fighting, okay, you know, we need to make a decision at this point. Should we call 911? Is it serious enough? Should I call them and get them, get them on their way anyway? And, um, a lot of times what, I don't know what I've seen, I'm sure you guys have experienced it too, is when you're trying to give care, there's very little that is as frustrating as a, a, a well-meaning church member that d doesn't do, you know, doesn't have a clue that comes over and says, oh, I can help. Or my sister's cousin's nephew's son actually knows a little bit of first aid and, um, we, you know, we, we very quickly ad adapted the, the, um, the status that we would say, thank you, but we're, we're good, <laughs> you know, at the moment. Yeah. I, I teach that, um, all the time in my CPR classes, you know, if you're the one on the ground next to them, you're in charge. If you're yeah. looking around wondering who's in charge, it's you. And <laughs> if they want to get down there and take over for you and relieve you of that responsibility, awesome. Until then, you're in charge. You tell them what to do, not vice versa. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's important too. And and oftentimes I think people will find themselves in like areas where they're just not, they, they're afraid they're going to get, you know, they're going to yell at somebody and they're going to get somebody mad at them. And at, at that point, you know, I'm like, Hey, it is, it is what it is. It's easier to go back and apologize to somebody afterwards, but mm -hmm. when you're giving care and, and I've, I've said the same thing, teaching CPR and first aid, when you're the first person there and you're giving care, you're in charge, you call the shots, you, you know, you direct the other folks that are responding to what you, you know, what you need and, and, uh, and tell them, tell them to help you. And whether that's, you know, if you're, if you need a, individual and and this is one thing we started doing was having having individuals hold up a blanket to give you privacy mm -hmm. you know for whatever's going on to hey i need you to go outside and flag down the ambulance or or the squad and you know meet so and so at a door there's always something that someone can be doing um we've in the fact in fact in pa in the past we've actually had folks direct uh, people out a different door. Like if something happens towards the back of the sanctuary and that's mm -hmm. the normal way people leave the sanctuary, then, Hey, maybe you have somebody redirect them to give you more privacy. We, we literally did that, um, last week. Uh, we yeah. had somebody that we brought out, uh, they were, they were, um, not feeling well. We brought them out into the foyer and it was right at, uh, right at dismissal. So we had people, um, the main sanctuary, keeping them uh, from coming out those doors and from the balcony, we had them seated on the stairs for uh, one of those exits. So, you gotcha. know, again, we just put those people to work. But, you know, you remember all of the, the movies and the, and the, you know, somebody's having a baby and they're like, go boil some water. You don't need <laughs> boiling water. They're giving them a job. They're just like, here, go, yeah. go do that and, you know, let it calm down. Um, it's not uncommon though. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, beach communities that I worked in as a deputy, um, their, their ambulance crews used to carry a letter with them because we always, you know, we'd get a lot of vacationing um, doctors and, and things like that. And when the doctor shows up, the doctor's like, Hey, do this, do that. And they had a letter that they just handed them that was from their medical director said, Hey, these guys are professionals. I need you to be a professional and let them do their job. <laughs> um, you know, and by the time they were reading that, everything was already progressing. Um, and 
you know, we, we kind of chuckle about it, but um, if, I've, if I've got a gunshot wound and my choices are a paramedic and a podiatrist, now the doctor did go to medical school and he right. probably knows a ton more medical stuff, but I want the, I want the uh, paramedic working on me right now because that's his little narrow uh, well, thing. And, and, and I'm glad that you're a nurse that works in a pediatrician's <laughs> office and you know that's great and you're doing god's work but you still have to come to me to get cpr certified <laughs> so. well and it's it's funny you bring that up and you say that because we were talking um i think it was last sunday uh we were talking at, at my church about um what to you know who would handle it or who would respond if we had like a medical emergency or that sort of thing and um, one of the things that I always thought was interesting was at my at the the past church that I would go to, there were plenty of nurses that would jump in and we knew who they were and, you know, they would jump in and try and help. But a lot of times when something happened, um, they would default back to me. And so I would ask that, like, after the event, I'm like, you know, you guys are nurses. Why are why are you like looking to me to make that decision? And they were, you know, their response was, well, you have more, we're a nurse, but you right. have more skill set with emergency medicine than, than we do. And it was funny you said that because one of, one of my good friends that goes to our church is actually in college to be a, a dentist. And I said, well, you know, if we ever respond to something and I was joking around, I said, we're both doctors. And he's like, well, yeah, but <laughs> he's like, I'm a medical doctor. And I went through that and I said, well, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just joking. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm a medical doctor, but let me tell you something. He's like, if something ever happens, he's like, I'm coming to you. And I'm like, but you're a doctor. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, but I specialize in people's teeth. So <laughs> he's like, maybe if they have a, a an emergency uh, infected tooth or something like that, or their tooth pops out, I'll know how to respond. And I'm like, dude, I'm like you, I know in Ohio, you're required as a doctor to learn CPR. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm pulling you into this. If it's, if it ends up being the two of us, you're going to help me. You're not getting out of it, but it is, it is interesting. And, and that is, that is a good point to keep in mind that even, even if you have uh, somebody there at your church, that's a nurse or someone like that, it's not you know, every, every position is not the same. So just keep in mind that that individual may not have that emergency level experience to handle. I mean, they could be seeing kids in, you know, pediatric in in the doctor's office. And the worst thing that they've ever seen is, you know, a kid crying from a shot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's entirely possible. Um, you know, so that's why I, I tell that to, to students to encourage them to not think, oh, well, you know, I just know CPR or I just know stop the bleed. No, that's what you need to know. That's what's needed yeah. in the moment. You know, it, you, you don't use your tax attorney on a capital murder case. Um, and you probably don't use the capital murder guy to keep you out of hot water with the IRS. Everybody has specialties. And this is your this is what you do right now. So just be really good at it. Yep. I mean, the other part to train folks is beyond the, the, the initial is keep in mind that not everything's a heart attack and not everything's on the extreme trauma end of bleeding either. So you may want to uh, train folks on recognizing symptoms of stroke, uh, looking for uh, folks that may have seizures or being aware of anybody who may be in your care as a child or is attending your church that you may know that they've suffered from seizures in the past, uh, watching for fainting, allergic reactions. Uh, certainly everybody very often has EpiPens and, and have them local now. Uh, so you may have an allergic reaction. But you also, if you have a playground or you have kids that are out playing in, in, in equipment, you could have significant falls and injury and compound fractures and all sorts of different things that could create a much more traumatic scene uh, just from those things as well. So there's a lot more to medical than than just relying back on that person that you think is in the pew or is in the church that 
happens to have some experience. But I think we do that in the same way. I think this is the the complacency that the church collectively tends to have. It's like, oh, we have a cop that comes here, or oh, we have we have a nurse, or oh, you know what, that person's a firefighter. And then they get complacent and don't actually put plans in place for any of those three things. And those three people may not even have anything to do with it or have never even been asked. They just assume. They're like, oh, I know that person has that vocation. So they assume that they'll be the person who responds, but they don't even have a formality established with that person. So always look beyond that. Always assume that you need, you're going to need to do more. And I think the the real difference is investing in and building out a team uh, for, for this. And it's not just your safety team or training the other folks. I think in general, it's how can you, you can use medical as the doorway to bring people in as a recruiting tool to your team. I feel like there's folks that sometimes hear the word security and they shy away. I don't want anything to do with it, but you train it. They're, they're willing or already even trained in some medical capacity. You could bring them into a safety team. You could bring them into a medical team or an arm of your overall umbrella. And that can be either all they ever do is they serve in a medical capacity, or you may find that that's the doorway. You get them trained in medical first, which is a higher likelihood. And then you worry about having them trained in responding to uh, larger issues, whether that that be uh, see something, say something, and awareness training and and uh, response for any sort of suspicious package, suspicious individual, et cetera, from that side. But to me, I view medical as a recruiting tool. Yeah, and you know, we, we push medical um, with training. Uh, again, that's one of those things that when we go into a church um, and they're kind of starting at, hey, we've got seven guys and we're kind of looking, the two things that we push on them first um, for suggestions for training is verbal de-escalation and medical training. Yep. Yeah. Um, it, frankly, um, the, the verbal de-escalation, if you're doing it right, you might prevent the need for some of those other skills anyway. Um, so, yep. um, but, but you will definitely use those two um, so much more often. So those are usually the first two things that, that we want to talk about. And of course, you know, you're, I'm sure you've had that reaction from people too. Initially, their first thing is, yeah, but can we get like some simunition training and going around? <laughs> we yeah. can, but how about if we, how about if we help you learn how to talk that situation down first? Um, right, yeah. You know, well, and when we, st- I mean, when we started uh, our safety team, 80% of what we responded to was medical. And it was literally oftentimes based on what we were dealing with, oftentimes we would do primary and secondary assessments, meaning, you know, we would spend time with that individual, take a blood pressure, you know, check their, check their pulse ox, see, see where they're at. And what we started finding was a a trend in, you know, church Sunday morning, people might be pre-diabetic and didn't eat. So then all of a sudden we're saying, Hey, here's some juice, you know, let's get your blood, blood sugar level up and, and addressing that. But ultimately, um, you know, we responded to more medical situations than, than even security concerns. And that's pretty consistent. I mean, we, we both, when we talk to, uh, churches, you know, regularly, in fact, I, I was talking to a local church last week and they were, they kept saying, you know, Hey, I, can you, can you tell us what a good standard for training with firearms is? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, sure, I can tell you that. Um, but let me see, you know, I said, let me see your policies and procedures for responding to emergencies. And they were like, uh, that would be a good idea to have. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so that's great that you're concerned about, you know, the, the active shooter and that put this on your radar, but let's, let's have some procedures and policies in place so that you can train your folks and be successful in more than just one way. And, you know, statistically, again, honestly, I hate to say it, but statistically, you know, the, the probability of an active shooter is still far less than a medical emergency in, you know, in a church for someone to respond to. 
Yeah, I mean, I I say it all the time. I I've used an AED in a church. I still have not used my SIG in a church. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so when it comes to which one do I need to know, you know, I need to know both. Um, but I'm probably going to use that AED first. Um, and, and something you said kind of reminded me of a lesson that we learned along the way is um, sometimes we need if the, even if our like our church staff or the volunteer teams aren't going to learn how to provide the aid, having them know um, what to expect mm. helps too. Um, and we, we kind of learned that the hard way. We had a, um, we had a, a, a guy have a seizure um, in the second row, about 10 minutes into the message. He had a seizure. He had a history of seizures. You know, um, we, we knew this, the family knew that. So we weren't super concerned about it. Um, until what nobody knew was he had a, uh, a heart defect and mm -hmm. the seizure went on too long and he ended up um, having a heart attack in the process. So now we're dealing with that. Well, all along, you know, you have the pastor on the stage and he's leading the congregation. So he's, he's encouraging them. He's talking, he's praying. And there's a point where we had to tell him, we need you to be quiet because I can't hear this AED. It's giving me instructions and I need to be able to hear this. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah. So that was just one of those things. You know, the other thing was, um, you know, get our, our tech booth to cut the live stream, you know, um, yeah. or, or whatever that, that looks like in your church or the recording, whatever you're doing, but have them cut that, um, you know, just, just for the sake of privacy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and those are things that we kind of learned along the way because we didn't get it right the first time. Um, yeah. you know, unfortunately our mistake didn't cost anybody their life. That's, and that's a good point too. having a, a preemptive conversation with the AV folks or, or, um, live streaming folks. And that was, that was actually one thing I did. I, I went to them and said, Hey, if something ever happens in front of the camera, you know, do we have some process to say, to throw up a you know, a filler screen or change, mm -hmm. change views, or, you know, even focus on the pastor closer instead of a wide shot of what all is happening. And, uh, and, and that, I mean, they had already thought about it and I said, well, that's great. We need to talk about it and just make sure, you know, we're on the same page that if something were to happen, then, you know, you guys would take that initiative to immediately do that and, and give the person some privacy as well. And oftentimes, like, you know, we haven't really spoken to it other than to say the person needs privacy. But like, if you're using an AED or something like that, you do need to expose or remove clothing. That's just the mm -hmm. way it is. And so when you're, when you're dealing with that type of situation, any, any ways that you can add privacy for that yeah. individual is much appreciated by, by them, even if they can't, you know, say, say it at the moment. Right. So, so um, I know one thing I'd really like to touch on before we, we wrap up, I know we're getting towards that one is everybody's always looking for, Hey, is there a grant for an AED? Is there, you know, yeah. I want grant money and, and there's grant money out there, but sometimes we just can't get that. Um, there's, there are companies out there that do lease to own programs. Um, we, we have one that we use all the time. Um, I know you, you're aware of the company. Um, they do a lease to own. So, you know, during the course of the two or three years, you're just spacing those payments out. So they're a lot easier to manage. Um, and, and the other thing is when you're talking with Stop the Bleed, um, I have to say, don't buy fake tourniquets. Don't buy oh, junk. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are eight. There are eight approved. I'm sorry, recommended tourniquets. They're not approved. <laughs> they're recommended. Um, that are that are available. They're all great. Some of them are a little easier to use than the others. Um, but the ones that you find on Amazon, you know, ten for twenty five dollars. They're trash. They will break. If you're going to cheap out on something and save ten dollars. Buy, buy a fake purse, buy a fake Rolex, whatever you got to do. Don't buy a fake tourniquet. It has one role in life, and that is to save lives. That's yep. not where you want to cheap out. And it needs to work when you need it to work yeah. as well. <laughs> yes. 
You don't, yeah. you don't have time to be messing around with it. And, you know, what's a good, like, what do you typically recommend for churches? Like what's a good number to start with for tourniquets? Um, so honestly, one of the blunt things that I tell them automatically is if you're carrying a gun, you need to be carrying a tourniquet. Sure. Um, so every one of those guys, because if guns come out, there's a good chance somebody's bleeding and yeah. this is a ram and it could be you. And it could be someone yeah. that you care about. Yep. So all, you know, if you've got a gun, you should have a tourniquet. And then um, I will typically, yeah, <laughs> or two, um, you know, and then I typically, uh, you know, we look at the size of the, um, you know, the size of the, the congregation, the size mm -hmm. of the campus. And, and, you know, I don't have a real super scientific formula that I use on it. But what I don't want, um, I was just doing a stop the bleed at a law firm. And they were talking about, you know, we could put it here. And that was on the first floor. And I'm like, great. And if you're on the fifth floor, you're either running some stairs really fast or you're waiting for elevators up and down. And that's just not acceptable. You know, so yeah. you, need, you need to stop the bleed kit every floor at, at a yeah, minimum, yeah. that kind of thing. So <laughs> Mike and I saw that in one case. <laughs> yep. We were at a at school a, and we, we, they were, yeah. we, were oh, we saw a couple of cases. We saw. A yeah. church that didn't have tourniquets in a good enough area, but we also saw a Christian school that they didn't have an AED on certain areas, and they were going to have to send somebody from floor three down to floor one to get it, only to come back up to floor two if there was an incident on the second floor. And they're like, instead of having one that was actually accessible on each floor. So yeah. we, we've seen it before. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Mike, what was your... What was your closing thought? Yeah, just uh, really tying it all together from medical being part of the church is really from the earliest of times, the church has cared for the sick and the health of society really in a physical and a spiritual sense. So it's been rooted in Christian concepts of charity and philanthropy. And you've seen many different uh, churches that take on a uh, spirit of the sick and, and so forth and helping those. So medical is an extension of that. So I encourage really churches to take medical more seriously, channel that 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 foundational spirit of caring for the sick, invest in a medical strategy, building out a formal team, and preparing for responding if necessary. For sure. Um, well, we'll go ahead and, and wrap up. Alan, thanks so much for for joining us on the broadcast tonight what what is a good website or good way for people to get a hold of you if they'd like to <laughs> uh, it's real easy our website is betterprotectors.com um just like it sounds betterprotectors.com <laughs> and um that that will uh, get you on our homepage. you'll see different uh sections in there for individual training workplace training church uh, safety um and then you know of course we do our medical we do all facets of church safety. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, again, thanks for joining, joining oh. us and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Great. Good night guys. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we always appreciate guests joining and it's great, to, great to have Alan on. Um, so definitely if you, uh, I know they travel as well, but they're based out of Florida. So if you, you need training or, uh, want to reach out to them as a resource. They have some great, great classes, great quality. Um, so feel free to reach out to them through their website, which is betterprotectors.com. And then uh, wrapping up um, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, leadership. It's our, our leadership episode. And uh, we've got a, another guest that'll be coming on hopefully, and it'll be a great conversation about uh, leadership models and whatnot. But uh, until then, uh, feel free to reach out to us through our website if we can be of any assistance to you, which is churchsafetyguys.com. And again, check out our uh, Church Security Essentials Conference coming up in April, the end of April in Austin, Texas. Uh, you can still get tickets for that at churchsafetyconference.com. We've got some great uh, information, great speakers, uh, a full full packed weekend that you don't want to miss. And it'll be a lot of fun, um, hanging out and, and, uh, and certainly always training and always learning. So until next week, take care, God bless and, uh, stay safe. Have a great week.
Thank you for joining the Church Safety Guys broadcast, brought to you by Vigilant Impact. We hope that you found it informative and we appreciate your feedback and interaction. Be sure to share our broadcast with your teams, join the discussion online, and connect with us on social media or at our website at churchsafetyguys.com. For other great ministry resources, download the Church Security app. Remember, keep a servant's heart, a mindset of ministry, and semper disciplina. Always be training. Have a blessed week.